Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. So, you know, one of the most basic things uh, that I learned and probably you learned when you first encountered the existence of fire as a young person is, is the reality uh, that a really good way of putting out that fire is to simply pour some water on it, right? Whether your first experience with fire is a, a campfire or a fireplace in your home or some other space where fire is intentionally started by humans for the purpose of uh, like cooking or, or keeping warm, you learn that a responsible way of ending your time with that fire is to simply pour a bucket of water on it when you leave. That water is an effective way of putting out fire. And that's all well and good, right? Until you learn that not every fire can be extinguished with water. In fact, the number one thing that you're told not to do if you find that your house is on fire is to put water on it. And the reason for that is that most fires in your house are caused by either grease in your kitchen from cooking or from electricity within your walls. And these fires burn so hot that, first thing, pouring water on it causes it to flash boil and burn you. But even more important than that, the danger comes from the fact that water will actually cause a grease and electrical or most other chemical fires to spread. The water that you think in your mind logically will put out this fire actually causes the fire to spread further. It becomes a spreading agent. And this is not something that we want, right? When our goal is to quench a fire. The, the last thing that we want is for the flames to spread farther or for the flame and fire to burn hotter into new areas of our home. And you know, the, the leaders of the effort to put an end to the movement of Jesus' followers faced a, a very similar situation. You see, these, these folks were well-versed in how to deal with uh, apostate and rogue teachers and communities. They, they had previous experience dealing with zealots and other types of people who spoke out against the temple or tried to gather people in their own name to go against the traditions of Israel. And so they had a very specific formula to put an end to these 
types of communities. And it was very simple, much like pouring a glass of water on a fire. Find the offenders, discredit them publicly, cart them off to jail, and if you're lucky, have them executed. Just like throwing water on a standard wood-burning fire. But what they didn't know, what they were soon going to experience, was the fact that the fire that was burning within the community of Jesus' followers was no ordinary campfire. This fire was like unlike anything they had ever experienced before, and they were soon to learn that their methods wouldn't work at all. So we're now in our eighth week of a sermon series called How to Start a Fire, where we're looking at elements that were present in the world of the early church and the world of the book of Acts, seeing how they enabled the message of Jesus to spread across the known world like a wildfire. And so today we're going to look at how the main element that the persecution of the church used to put them out of business was actually going to become the driving force behind the greatest expansion of the gospel message to date. And today's text marks a major shift in the book of Acts and really a major shift in human history. So you may recall from previous weeks that the early church was facing a lot of opposition from uh, folks within the city of Jerusalem. And so many of Jesus' followers were spread out into the surrounding countryside areas to escape from the hands of a man named Saul of Tarsus. And so namely, last week we looked at the work of the Holy Spirit through a man named Philip and how he brought the gospel message to these people in a region called Samaria and how he actually evangelized a man from Africa, an Ethiopian. And so that's kind of the backdrop, right? Saul is persecuting Christians in Jerusalem, and Christians outside of Jerusalem are continuing to spread the message of Jesus into new and unreached places. But they're not doing so in a secretive manner. It's it's not undisclosed to the masses. People know that this gospel message has not been quenched just because there's persecution in Jerusalem. So word is coming back to those in charge of the Inquisition against the church. And that's where we find ourselves when we pick up the book of Acts in chapter 9. So all of this is going on. Saul's persecuting Christians in Jerusalem, and the gospel message is being spread outside of Jerusalem. And so it says, meanwhile, while all this good stuff is happening in Samaria, meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so Saul, having likely heard, you know, the news that the message of Jesus was expanding beyond Jerusalem, makes a petition to the high priest, the most highest authority of the Jewish faith, and asks them, 
for the authority, to, to be deputized, essentially, to go out and to arrest anyone who belongs to the way, which is the name of the early Jesus movement. And this authority will, will grant him the ability to bring offenders back to Jerusalem for punishment. And he specifically targets a town called Damascus, which is quite a distance away from Jerusalem. So if you look at this map on the screen, you'll see all the way down at the bottom where the red line begins, that's the city of Jerusalem. And Damascus is all the way up at the top where the red line ends. That's about 140 miles. That's a really long way when you don't have automobiles. Now, Samaria, where we were last week, is about a quarter of that distance. And so, as you can tell, the gospel is moving quite quickly. And so, what Saul is trying to do is he's trying to head it off by going to Damascus. But what happens on his way there is something that he could not have expected. And so Acts goes on, it says, Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, Who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. So Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So here's the deal, right? Saul is like the, the persecutor-in-chief of Jesus' followers. And, and in Jesus' own words, he's actually the chief persecutor of Jesus himself. This guy has a literal encounter with the resurrected Christ. And what I want you to focus on here is Jesus' tone. There's no condemnation here. Even though this man has committed violent actions against God's people, against Jesus himself in Jesus' eyes, he just says, this is what you've done. Why? Here's what you're going to do. Get up and go. And when you get there, just wait for further instruction. And I guess to make sure that Saul both waited and was thoroughly convinced that what just happened to him was real and not some symptom of heat exposure, Saul is stricken temporarily blind, forced to go and to wait, just like he was told, for further instructions. Those instructions, it turns out, would come to him from another unlikely source. 
And so the book goes on. It says, now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. So the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So this is where we find out that Saul's fear that the way that Jesus' followers had spread as far as Damascus was well-founded because there is a disciple of Jesus in Damascus named Ananias. God comes to him in a vision and sends him to the place where Saul is staying. He's told that when he visits Saul, Saul's sight would be restored. Ananias' response is less than enthusiastic. He says, says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. Ananias is probably glad to hear that this dude is blind. Like, Our greatest threat is no longer able to see. He's been rendered obsolete. Ananias is like, this is a blessing. Why on your name, God, would I go and change that? This man is doing evil. He is infamous. This man is dangerous, and you send me to him? I'm not going there to do anything of the sort. And I, you know, I don't know about you, you could be better Christians than I am, but I track with Ananias, like, why would I go help this man? He's been murdering and arresting all of my friends. He's getting what he deserves. But the good news for you all, and for me, is that God's ways are Well, they're just different than ours, different than my first thought for sure. And so this is the Lord's response to Ananias. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house, and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Turns out that God's got plans for old Saul of Tarsus, plans that Ananias can't see, but plans 
And nonetheless, Ananias is called to go and to become a part of. This all reminds me of a story. In the winter of 1995, a woman named Charletta Evans took her two sons with her in the car as she went to pick up her grandniece on December 21st, four days before Christmas. She left her boys in the car while she went inside the house, and while she was in there, she heard the unmistakable sound of gunfire. Bullets rained down on the house and on Charletta's car, which was parked waiting outside. When the drive-by shooting was over, she rushed out to her car to find that her three-year-old son, Kaysan, had been shot in the head. Kaysan died at the scene. But what happened next, Charletta describes as an act of God. She heard a voice audibly asking her if she would forgive the people who did this. She said, it must have been the Spirit that inspired me to say yes. Raymond Johnson was one of the three teenagers in the drive-by car, and it was determined that he was the one who fired the bullet that killed Kaysan. And at this time, in Colorado, juveniles could be sentenced to life without an opportunity for parole. And Raymond Johnson received that sentence. Seventeen years later, Charletta and Raymond would become the first people to participate in a pilot program with the Colorado Department of Justice called the High Risk Impact Victim Offender Dialogue Program. This restorative justice program allowed victims to meet with their offenders. After a long process of counseling on both sides, which included sending cards and written correspondence between one another, Charletta and Raymond would meet face to face. Three years before the day that they met, Charletta received a Mother's Day card from Raymond, asking her if she would be his mother. She didn't give him an answer. But after preparing for their meeting for a long period of time, Charletta and Raymond sat down face to face and spent eight hours asking one another questions, finding out each other's stories, learning about one another's lives, together reliving the night that changed both of their lives forever. And at the end of their eight-hour meeting, she looked at him and she said, yes, Raymond, I will be your mama. In the years since, Charletta has navigated the Colorado judicial system with Raymond. She was instrumental in a Supreme Court decision that banned mandatory life without parole sentences for juvenile offenders and was eventually successful 
and making Raymond parole eligible. In November of 2021, after 26 years behind bars, Raymond was released from prison into the arms of his new adoptive family who was waiting for him just outside the prison walls. Ananias and Charletta faced similar decisions, though on vastly different timelines. But they're similar in that the catalyst was a call from God and a decision to forgive and trust God's calling to go and bear witness to people who had committed atrocities against them and the ones they loved. To go and witness to people who had stolen their peace. In both cases, we see that the, the arm of the Lord mixed with a heart filled with repentance and the willingness to reconcile changed lives and changed circumstances. For Raymond, it meant a new lease on life and a new family to experience it with. And for Saul, it meant that he had a new mission. This is what happened next. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is, is not this the man who has made havoc in Jerusalem among those people who invoked this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul became increasingly more powerful, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Saul, the very water that was sent to douse the flames of the Jesus movement becomes a spreading agent, like, like water thrown on a grease or an electrical fire. He was sent to put out the flame, but he ends up becoming the thing that is going to move the message of God beyond the boundaries of predominantly Jewish communities. Saul, who will later go by his Greek name Paul, becomes the chief church planter and the author of most of your New Testament. Saul becomes everything that he thought he would never be. Everything that he thought he could never become. Everything that he dedicated his life to fighting against. And the thing that happened to Saul was an encounter with Christ followed by the obedient love and forgiveness of one, just one, of Jesus' followers. You know, I think that the message here for us is twofold. We're all a little bit of Saul and a little bit of Ananias, right? 
Any of us who's honest with ourselves recognizes that we battle with the fact that we are deeply in need of a Savior, that we are flawed people who need God's grace. We all have a past or maybe even a present that is fundamentally at odds with the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. But at some point, we have an encounter that changes everything. And most of the time, that encounter is followed up by the love of the community of God. People like Ananias. People like Charletta. Who come into our lives to nurture us and strengthen us in the faith. But as time goes on, it gets harder and harder for us to remember that we are all called to be like Ananias. We are the ones who are called to go and be the the spreading agents of God's forgiveness and love. And here's the thing. We never know how the people that we are called to go and pull out of their blindness will impact the world. Ananias could not have guessed in his wildest dreams that Saul would become a man who would spread the gospel like no other to the ends of the earth. And we can't know that about anyone either. All that we can know is that God has asked us. No, God, God has called us to go and reach those whom he is calling to himself. And I think that you know, no matter who that person is, what our response is meant to be. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. Raymond, yes, I will be your mama. You know, Jesus is the ultimate example and the author of forgiveness. Jesus went to the cross to model what forgiveness could truly look like for us. And on the night before he went to the cross, he sat in a room with his disciples, some who maybe deserved to sit at the table with him, and a whole bunch who certainly did not. And he shared with them a meal, the same meal that Jesus' followers have been invited to come and experience for thousands of years now, a meal that is given without being earned, a meal that is given simply because we are people who are forgiven by the grace of God. It's a symbol, like Ananias coming to Paul, like Charletta going to Raymond and showing the deep grace 
of God. So when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, he, he took bread. And he gave thanks to God. And he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, look, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. Eat and remember that every time that you gather in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to God. He said, listen, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. And those are the beautiful truths that we remember as we gather as a community around the table. So would you pray with me? Good and holy God, we ask that you would come and that you would pour your spirit out on us gathered here, that, that we would be your very body. And that though we are broken, we are sent out to heal this world. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be poured out on these gifts of bread and the cup, that they would be for us the very body and blood of your Son, Jesus, that we might be your people, your body, redeemed by your blood as a gift to this world to be spreading agents of your love, of your grace, and of your forgiveness here amongst our community and out into your glorious world. God, we love you, and we, we ask all of this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.